0: So today is going to be one of those days where if you follow me on Twitter, a lot of the stuff I'm saying is not going to be that interesting because you've already seen it. But um, you know, some of the stuff I come across is just—it's very interesting stuff, and I just feel the need to put it out there as opposed to saying I'm going to keep it to myself and just you know wait for the podcast. It's also good, also good to kind of bounce it off people, get a little bit of interaction, make sure I didn't miss something. Sometimes they hit you back with something. I've had people, uh, for example, the the cold weather stuff, and I think that was after the podcast. But either way, somebody had reached out and said, I, I pretty much remember Russell Wilson winning a cold-weather game. Sure enough, I forgot to check playoffs as well as regular season, so then I had to amend that the next day. But, um, you know, there's 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 good and bad here. It's the bottom line. There's, there's some really good news and some really interesting stats, and then there's some things that are going to make you kind of worry a little bit. But at the end of the day, as we know, two good football teams. But I want to start off with um, what I would consider to be the worst thing that I found. (laughs) And I want to start off with that first, especially before I forget. um, First of all, thank you to Sutton for the uh, donation. I really appreciate that. He also dropped me a question, so let's start off with this. He says, question for this week's content. Has Jalen Ramsey or does Rams secondary struggled against anything we do well, or how does 17 match up against Ramsey? The first question... Not going to answer. I might at some point answer. I don't know if I can think of how. But I did look into the second part, and it's not fantastic. And, and it was something, and I don't remember what it was, but uh, something I think Peter Bukowski had retweeted that kind of sparked my interest. And it was something to the effect of Devontae has never done X, Y, and Z against a first-team All-Pro, maybe, corner. And it was it was only int- interesting because I wanted to investigate that. But, I again, I don't care about Pro Bowl stuff. It doesn't mean very much, but I did want to see, okay, well, how well does he do against good corners? Now, of course, I'm not smart enough to, to send myself the information that I looked up, but um, bottom line, I went back over three years. I looked up top 20 corners via PFF. Now, you got to understand, when you get down to 15 through 20, we're talking not even super elite, right? Super elite is like top five, maybe. Even in the top five, you get a couple that are kind of, you know, whatever. Top 10, you probably got some really good guys, or whatever. But I just wanted to see top 20. The only game I saw in which Devontae Adams had an even somewhat good game was, I think, 2018 against Prince of Mukamura. In 2018, the Bears, similar to the Rams, actually, had three corners inside the top uh, 20. Fuller, Callahan, and Prince of Mukamura were all in the top 20 for cornerbacks. And I think he had, like, I don't know, let me look it up. He had six targets, five receptions for 80 yards. By far his best day against anybody in the top 20 at cornerback. And Prince of Murakimura was right around the 20 mark and was the third best corner for the Bears. Now, I'm not trying to make any kind of broad point about uh, Devontae being bad. That's not really my intent, but it's not a great stat. In fact, for most of these games, he doesn't have more than one reception for about six yards or so. That would be a normal matchup in a one-on-one versus a top 20 corner. One reception, six yards. Two targets, one reception, six yards, something like that. Now, again, trying to overanalyze a statistic is um, not super smart, but one thing I can say is that I don't expect a big day against Jalen Ramsey. As in, one-on-one, he's just going to pick him apart. I don't expect that at all. And it's not even necessarily because Jalen Ramsey's the best corner in the world. That's just not the way it tends to go. Now, the other thing to keep in mind is that we know Devontae has had very good games for many years. How is it possible? Because we're talking about multiple games. Well, my assumption comes down to the Packers do a good job of creating mismatches. That is to say look at how well he does against, let's say, the number two corner, the number three corner. Or, in the case of, you know, let's say the Rams, it may have to be a mismatch against the linebackers, which is why in our Discord chat with the guys that I work with, I reached out to Coach and I said, hey, any idea if they play a lot of man or if they mix it up with zone? Because if they play man-to-man all day with Jalen Ramsey and Dave and Devontae Adams, he can't get away. I don't think any team actually does that, because that creates more problems than anything if, if you're just going to play man. We got some other options for you. If we know what you're doing and you're gonna play man, you're in trouble. So they they gotta mix it up on occasion. And I think in those situations, um, the goal the, the goal for Devante has to be creativity. Right? Try to get a free release based on, you know, bunch sets or something to that effect. If they're in zone, get them over on a linebacker. This is how Devontae can really tear things up. But again, based on what I'm looking at, for whatever reason. And, and I'll let you come up with whatever narrative you want. I'm just giving you the information. He does not go toe-to-toe with top corners and beat them. Um, on this season, he's gone up against, I think, three corners in the top 20. None of them are really very good. Uh, Xavier Rhodes, there's, there's two Colts corners that are currently top 20, and I don't even remember the other one. But I want to say it's, uh, I got the tweet. Let me look up the tweet. Here's the tweet in its uh, entirety. I'll skip the first sentence. Adams has played against three corners ranked in the top 20 all year. Against those three, Adams has four targets, one reception for five yards, and a touchdown. So he has a five yard touchdown. That's it. That's the only reception he has against top 20 corners this entire year. Now, again, he's got massive stats. How is that possible? Because they all come against guys that are not top 20 corners. First of all, because we've faced very few of them. And second of all, when we do, he gets those yards against somebody else. And by the way, that touchdown is pretty much his only touchdown over three years against top 20 corners. The final sentence in that tweet, the Rams have three corners in the top 20. Two of them are graded out higher than anyone has seen all year. Anyone he's seen. I was gonna say that sentence doesn't make sense. Anyone Devontae has seen all year. Two guys. fact of the matter is, PFF has uh, one of their corners ranked actually higher than Jalen Ramsey. Now, I don't think anybody that, you know, I don't know that too many people would agree with that. And and again, PFF doesn't just for talent. So you got Jalen going up against number ones and this guy probably going up against number twos. But the bottom line is he's just as dominant. And uh, Devontae probably has a better chance if he gets on some of these other corners, but it's not like he's just going to blow them out of the water. Because the fact of the matter is, those guys are about as good as these other top corners that he's gone up against and done kind of nothing. So, again, it's, it's not going to be easy. You know, we talk about, well, it's, it's going to be a walk in the park because we got this number one offense. And, I mean, at the end of the day, you still have to find answers. And I'm trusting Lafleur to do it, but it's not just sheer will. It's not just, we got Rodgers and Devontae, and they can beat anybody. History says that's not the case. And and again, a bigger problem isn't just that they have one corner. And by the way, if anybody watches my mock drafts, please keep in mind what I'm telling you right now. Because some people don't like it when I draft a corner for a team that has one corner. By the way, Packers, (laughs) it's easy enough... To move a wide uh, a wide receiver over to the other corner if your other corner isn't good. Having one lockdown corner isn't the answer to everything unless you're just going to have him shadowed a hundred percent of the time. And that I don't think that's happened ever. Let me look at at shadow coverage. See if anyone's ever followed somebody a hundred percent of the time. The answer to the question is no. Some teams t- seem to want to be more willing to do that. For example, the, for example, the Miami Dolphins, Xavier Howard, very very good. Uh, player 94% of the time followed John Brown. They had Noah Igbenogany, uh in Miami follow Stefan Diggs 93% of the time. Zavian Howard followed DK Metcalf 91% of the time, but it's, it's very rare. For the LA Rams, the most that anybody followed anybody, Jalen Ramsey followed DK Metcalf 77% of the time in Week 10. That's the most all year. For the Packers, Jair was on Calvin Ridley 86.2% of the time. But they've also only ever had shadow coverage six times all year. Meaning there are games where there just there isn't such a thing as, as somebody following somebody. In fact, most teams, most of the time, just don't follow people. That's a specific game plan for a specific period of time. I mean, if you look at the Chargers, they got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times somebody shadowed somebody. It seems like kind of a lot, but we're talking about multiple corners. Week two, 10, 12, 13, 14. That's it. Week 1, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 11, 15, 16, 17, minus their bye week whenever that came up. No shadow coverage. So it's, it's, I guess I'm just stressing it because we just assume that it's always these one-on-one matchups and that's just not how anything worked. Same with Corey Lindsley and uh, Aaron Donald. That's just not how it worked. I mean, both teams are trying to scheme things the way they want it. The, the Rams want Jalen Ramsey to be on Devontae as much as is possible without being too entirely predictable. The Packers want Devontae to be away from Jalen Ramsey as much as they can control it. The Packers would love Corey Lindsley to be matched up one-on-one with Aaron Donald as much as possible. The Rams would love for Aaron Donald to be matched up against either Billy Turner or Lucas Patrick or whoever's going to end up being there. And the, the, the problem for both sides of this is that everything has a chain reaction. And both sides are going to want to try to manipulate those chain reactions. If I put my guy here, you got two options. We're going to set up our defense just so that either, let's say, you slide this way and give me what I want and put my guy, you know, you're going to have your weakest link covering my best guy. Or you slide the other way, and then the way our defense is set up, you're in trouble. It's all just a big game. And so, you know, again, it's not just, you know, we're thinking in too much of Mike McCarthy terms of strength on strength. Just go beat your guy. A lot of this comes down to just outthinking the other team and, and again, execution. We got to find ways to scheme Devontae open. We got to find ways to scheme MVS open and Lazard open. Um, bottom line, I mean, both teams have strengths and weaknesses, and both teams know what both teams' strengths and weaknesses are, and the goal is to manipulate the other team's strengths and weaknesses, right? We know where the Rams are strong, and we don't want to play into it. They know where they're weak, and they want to make sure that we don't play into that, so they got to set a trap. We know how you can manipulate us, but we want to make sure if you run that play, you're in trouble here. I mean, it's just, it's this whole big complex game that they play. But again, at some point, and this is why I trust the Packers, when you have so many weapons, you know, let's let's say it's not Devontae. We don't have to put Devontae against a linebacker, but we could put Tunyon against a linebacker and can he win that matchup? He should be able to. Maybe Devontae just doesn't have a big day. I'm starting to think that's kind of just the way it is, and that's not to say he gets shut out. Maybe he has one reception against Jalen Ramsey for seven yards. He has, you know, a reception against a safety for 15 yards and uh, two receptions against linebackers for, you know, 20 yards. You know, whatever. So he has four receptions for 50, 60 yards. Okay, but but how did we run the ball? Who else stepped up in the receiving? Did did Aaron Jones have another 30, 40 yards receiving and a touchdown? Did Jamal get a couple receptions? Did Lazard get involved in the passing game? Maybe Devontae has four receptions, Lazard has seven. I don't know. That's going to be up to Matt LaFleur to say, you know what? And it, you know, it's, it's funny how, I think I mentioned my son is really getting into Risk. That was one of my, my favorite games when I was a kid, is playing Risk. And we got it on a phone, so we don't have to set up this big board game and it takes 10 years and all this setup and everything else. It's pretty rapid fire. And he never really understood why sometimes I would basically abandon a country and almost want them to come take it. I would bait them into taking that. And he it took him a while to understand that, be, why don't you... What do you mean you don't care about that country? What do you mean you want them to take it? That doesn't make sense. And I explained that if they do that for... You know, they got this... Let's say they got a, a 10 guys on this one country. And I've got like 9 on another. So they're probably not going to attack my 9 with their 10. And that's the country I... The continent I care about where I get my extra guys. If you don't know risk, then just ignore me. Ignore the specifics I get. But what I want them to do is attack that guy who just has one. Because that country means absolutely nothing to me. And then that 10 becomes like a 5 and a 4. And suddenly, my 7 has the advantage. Not only can they not attack me, but I'm stronger than they are, and I can start attacking them. Similarly, if we sort of concede Devontae, and again, that's not to say we never throw to him, but if we set it up that this team has to play afraid of Devontae, they have to take their number one, or I guess number two, when you consider Aaron Donald, best asset, and allocate it to um, Devontae. That erases their top guy, in a sense. That leaves some pretty vulnerable pieces that are just out there. Again, their linebackers and safeties are not super elite. Can we use our remaining pieces and attack those? We have running backs and tight ends that can all attack these linebackers. Again, you can use sort of bunch sets and things to try to get guys open. you got the the jet sweep action to not only try to stress the athleticism of the, the defense, which they are quite athletic, but you're stressing the linebackers and you're also asking Okay, your guys are better in coverage, but how good is your guy at getting off blocks against Alan Lazar? Are they big physical tackling corners? Because if not, we're just going to come at you that way, which is another good question for a coach. And by the way, again, he's going to be breaking this stuff down. One of the things, and I forget the terminology that he explained are the two different kinds of defensive philosophies in terms of, uh, what is it, spill and is it box, something like that. But depending on how they play that, we could try to stress the defense to the outside and attack their corners and, and their safety question is, do, does their defense generally try to stretch you out? Which I think the Bears kind of do that. I've, I, I never realized it was a defensive strategy, but I've just noticed sometimes our guys are always like continuing to run, 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 run to the sideline and they just can't get anywhere. I didn't know that that was all intentional, that some defenses just are that way. And I feel like the Bears are one of those defenses that kind of act that way. Where It's like you just, there's nothing there and you got to bounce it and you just keep trying to get around it, get around it, get around it. And it just, you, there's nothing there. But again, I, all this is just different questions. And I think the, the biggest benefit in a macro sense is that there's three talented phases out of the four, excluding the special team. Rams offense and defense, Packers offense and defense, and the only real weak link is the Rams offense. So really, the only way the Rams win this game is if they completely shut out the Packers offense. Because the Rams are going to score points, the Packers are going to score some points. If we assume that you know the Packers give it their best and the Rams give it their best, the Packers honestly should win the game because if the Packers continue to play defense as well as they have, the Rams should struggle to get to 20 points. The Packers probably won't get to 30 against the Rams, but they should be able to get into the 20s against, you know, so it should be, if we're just using a strictly mathematical kind of thing, we should be looking at like a 16 to 24 kind of game. I made that up off the top of my head, but but it, it makes sense. That's what the Packers defense has been doing. Rams offense has no no real ability to do better than that, better than average at least. And again, the Rams' defense should be able to shut down the Packers' offense much better than everybody else, but it's to a degree, not entirely. But it's a, it's a big test. I mean, it's a big test for uh, Matt LaFleur. It really is. I mean, it, a lot of this is going to come down to game plan. Game plan and execution is, is really, I mean, that's pretty much every game. But but sometimes it's, you know, if it's a bad enough team, you can have a bad game plan and some sloppy execution and still pull it off. But in the playoffs, the bottom line is you got to be on top of your game with the game plan. And there has to be some good execution. Again, the, the Colts, they lost because of execution. It was not the game plan. They had a great game plan. If they could have executed, they would have beat the Bills. They couldn't execute. And I think last year, the failure against the 49ers was both. It was twofold. I think Kyle Shanahan was, was uh, just much better prepared than um, than Matt LaFleur was. He, he drew up offensively and defensively a much better game plan. The Packers could not get out of it. They could not adjust out of it. But also, the execution was poor. And the players said as much. Zadarius came out and said, yeah, we, we did not play well. We played like garbage. So, I mean, that that's how you end up with massive collapses like that. You get outcoached and outplayed. And um, I do think that there are some people that are looking at this and saying that this is going to be a similar kind of a collapse because Sean McVeigh is kind of like Kyle Shanahan, right? He's the guy that taught Lafleur. Yeah, I took some time to, to kind of process that. There's only kind of two two ways in which you can make that argument because first of all it's not as though Matt LaFleur is a product of Sean McVay. I think we all understand that at this point, right? He didn't come up through the Sean McVay tree. That's that's not how that happened. They actually came up together in the exact same system under Kyle Shanahan. Right? Mike Shanahan was the head coach of Washington back in 2013 his son was the offensive coordinator Kyle Shanahan so Kyle's kind of learning at the feet of Mike Shanahan he's sort of the guy that's like next to take that mantle and then Matt LaFleur was the quarterback's coach Sean McVay was the tight ends coach all right so these guys are all learning at the feet of this system together the 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 difference is Matt LaFleur when 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 it when everybody got fired they decided to keep Sean McVay which kind of shows that there's something very promising about McVay himself, and they just made him the offensive coordinator. Right, Jay Gruden came in, and um, he kept you know a couple people, uh, the offensive line coach, the secondary coach, defensive coordinator, several people um, were kept on staff, but the, uh, the Shanahan folks had to go. And for whatever reason, Sean McVay was not seen as one of those guys. He was something a little different. But the, the point is, as far as the system goes, Matt LaFleur continued his learning under Kyle Shanahan for uh, at least another year in Atlanta, or for two years in Atlanta under Kyle Shanahan. So again, he continued his learning. And then obviously in 2017, that was the one year that he went to the Rams and and worked with McVay, right? They reworked together. So in terms of the understanding of the overall system, I don't think McVay has any advantage over uh, LaFleur. Again, if anything, through... Kyle's eyes. You know, I, I tend to think he saw more in Lafleur than he did in McVay. Washington disagreed. The Rams obviously hired him as a coach. I mean, maybe there's something about his leadership ability. I don't know, but they all really, really liked him. So he does have more experience. But if we're going to make the experience argument, then it just completely goes out the window because Matt Lafleur has done nothing but annihilate coaches with more experience. And so when we go back to the 49ers, I, I think you know maybe we overplay that a little bit, but. We've got two guys that really understand the system. And, and we could say Kyle understands it better, fine. But so did the team. Kyle had spent years drilling his system into his players. The defensive coordinator had spent years drilling that into their deep. They knew what they were doing. This year one, So when Matt LaFleur comes out and tries to explain the system to a team that doesn't really only halfway understand it, and then they, as I just talked about with the Rams... You try to, you know, out-scheme each other. It comes down to game plan and execution, and, and the Packers did not have the players to execute. And I do think that Kyle probably drew up a better plan. But, but again, when, when both teams understand each other's weaknesses, and the Packers have a bunch of weaknesses, and the 49ers had very few, it gets to be real, real difficult. And at the end of the day, I mean, how much of a game plan do you need when you can just run the ball at will and nothing happened? I mean, literally, they, they basically just didn't pass. Because they ran and they were like, wow, this Packers team is kind of terrible. <laughs> Let's just keep running and see what happens. And that was it. That's how they won the NFC Championship. Uh, that and, you know, Bosa goes ahead and terrorizes Rodgers and he can't complete a pass. But we're also, remember, we're also talking about a team that is known to have had a dominant defense that actually had a better offense than defense, but that wasn't really as talked about, right? Just, just it's, it's better personnel with a better understanding both the coaching staff has much more familiarity with what they're doing, right? As far as coaching and game planning and all that stuff, they have a better synergy between each other as coaches. From player to coaches, they have a better understanding. The players are not only better offensively and defensively, but understand the system much better and how to execute. That's not the situation here the Rams do not have necessarily better personnel than the Packers. Sean McVay doesn't necessarily have a better understanding of the system than Matt LaFleur does. So I don't know that there's this massive advantage either way, right? Does does McVay have a better understanding of, of how to be a head coach? Of course he does. So does every other coach that that LaFleur has beat. But I think at the end of the day, you, you got two guys that really, really are extremely intelligent in McVay and LaFleur. They both really understand each other. They understand this scheme that they're both trying to run they both understand and 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 they're not identical teams because they have different players so they have different wrinkles to the system but they both fully understand what the other team does and doesn't do and they both have a pretty good understanding of of what the weaknesses are and how to attack those things but again that's going to come down to execution and so at the end of the day if you have a perfect game plan and perfect execution the Packers should win that's my thought process because I do think they are the better team So, anyways, this is a good spot to take a break, and we'll come back and look at a few other things. Pretty sure we're all caught up with thank yous, so I just want to remind you, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can support this podcast for as little as a dollar a month. That means a ton to me. Again, it doesn't seem like much for a buck, but when you think about everybody listening to this giving a dollar, it is life-changing for me. So, please consider it. I know uh, a lot of people are on hard times right now obviously not asking for uh, anything from those people. But if you can, please consider it. And and you can also pay uh, for the month, which I've realized most people actually like doing. And I understand that because I hate monthly charges. <laughs> and I also don't like having my wife every month say, what is this? Do we need this? Why do we need this? It's like, I've explained this three months in a row. I, I don't know, man. I'm just It's just a thing that I need for the football. Well, do you need it? Yeah, I need it. It's five bucks. Can I just have it? Well, it's every month. I know! It's easier to just, here's 10 bucks for the year, all right? I don't have to deal with that. Otherwise, again, be sure to check out Flick Chat. Just sign up for the newsletter. Packernet Podcast on Instagram. Pack underscore Daddy is Twitter. Um, Pack Daddy NFL is YouTube. I think that's it. Oh, Cheese and Packers Facebook page. Check that out. There, I plugged all of them. Also, openings. If you're looking to come work for uh, No Compensation... Looking for a podcast group person? It's a big group. Uh, your job detail is to basically do nothing because it runs itself, but it'd be cool to have somebody in charge of it. So if you'd like to fill that void, feel free. I know a lot of people are super active. Again, your your job is to almost do nothing, and then you kind of come in, chat with us, maybe strategize about how to grow it. That's pretty much it. Um, also, sounds a little weird, but TikTok it is one of the biggest, fastest-growing platforms. I'm not built for TikTok, although I do enjoy it. any of you have any interest in being a tiktok person for the podcast uh, talk to me about it or if you have a teenage child with absolutely no ambition nothing to do and you're tired of them being useless you can um, send them my way and i will maybe like send them a t-shirt and they can do stupid dances for the podcast i don't i have no idea i'm just saying we'll figure it out all i know is i'm not doing it i've tried it's not it's not interesting to me It doesn't have to be you either. It could be like created videos. If you like making videos, it could be funny. I've done a couple of those. I just, again, time, not so much. Anyways, let us take a break. We all have smartphones and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So a couple little insights in terms of, and I think it's fairly straightforward in terms of how you play the, the Rams. And again, it's really um, don't be stupid and play into their strengths. Aaron Rodgers, I would say basically, but he literally came out and said, we need to run the ball well. And I I think that's pretty evident. There's a large portion of the game plan is going to revolve around being able to run the ball well. Um, I think we did a great job against, for example, the Tennessee Titans. And I think if the Packers can do that, it really just, that alone just kind of blows this thing wide open. Now, again, I think the Rams know this, and I tend to think they're going to want to take that away number one as silly as that sounds with with Rodgers and Devontae being the strength of the offense I think they trust their guys they trust that Aaron Donald is going to harass Aaron Rodgers they trust that Jalen Ramsey and these DBs are going to be taking away Devontae and our wide receiver and so I think their goal is going to be to load up the box just just assuming and not let us run the ball well because if we can do that we can kind of impose our will The other thing that's going to be important that I don't think has been said but is kind of self-explanatory is getting the ball out early. I mentioned yesterday how um, Aaron Donald's stats are uh, really, really good against the Seahawks. Actually, I think I was talking about Leonard Floyd, but it it also applies to Aaron Donald. He had eight pressures, eight pressures, and six pressures against Seattle. Obviously, he's got 104 pressures, so that, you know, whatever, but... um, when I, one of the things that seemed evident that I wanted to look into was um, how long quarterbacks hold on to the ball. Not surprisingly, Russell Wilson holds on to the ball longer than just about any quarterback in the NFL. And so from that standpoint, the fact of the matter is the Seattle Seahawks were a terrible matchup for the Rams. Because the Seattle Seahawks like the deep plays. Right? I think Buffalo would be another terrible matchup. Now, I know Buffalo already beat him. I get that. And it's funny because when you look at the stats, you, it'll break it down in uh, what happened when they got the ball out in less than 2.5 seconds and what happens when they got the ball out in more than 2.5 seconds. There were four times he was sacked when he held onto the ball for longer than 2.5 seconds, but they just kept coming. That's that's the point. They were able to overcome the fact that that they basically did the wrong thing and it still worked. Not many teams have that kind of capability. But the fact of the matter is it plays to the Rams' strengths when your job is we don't really run the ball very well. We're not a dink and dunk team. We're a drop back, unload, and just launch it down the field kind of team. The Rams love that. They trust their DBs, and they know they're going to get pressure. The Packers aren't really that kind of a team. They're they're always looking for it. They want that big shot. And obviously the the, the Rams will occasionally give that up. Hopefully MVS is ready to catch the football when it comes. But I, I think this team is kind of built to take that away. And, and it's what makes you a good D. De- it's same with the Packers. The Packers, are, they, they operate in a very similar fashion. We're not going to let you take the big plays. You can try to win underneath. And I think the Packers are going to kind of be okay with that. Because if we can get the ball out quickly, it neutralizes the pass rush. If we can run the ball effectively, there is no pass rush, and the corners are useless in this game. And suddenly we're re- relying on a defensive line that, to be completely honest, is beatable on the ground. Now, I know they rank very well in terms of, of their run defense, and I think a lot of that really has to do, as weird as it sounds, with their secondary. Because, again, they don't need any help. It's also part of the reason why I really like the idea of moving Billy Turner inside, not only because he's a better pass blocker, but he's really, really starting to step up as a great run blocker. And if our goal is to run the ball well, I kind of want Billy Turner at right guard. And so you said, well, what about Valdir at tackle? Isn't he kind of a liability? Again, I'll take that liability against subpar pass rushers, if it means better protection against Aaron Donald and much better running of the football. I don't know that Valdir is that much worse of a left tackle than Billy Turner is. Again, Billy Turner is not grading out very well as a tackle. He's grading out quite well as a guard. And again, especially in terms of his run-blocking prowess, he's just continuing to get better in this system. It seems like every week he gets a little bit better. So if we're going to get some big boy football and um, lean on some of these bigger more powerful running back or Aaron Jones I guess it doesn't matter but uh, I want to get some movers up front and I think Billy Turner fits that mold Elton Jenkins Corey Lindsley they do a good job of just moving people so again it's just going to come down to execution that's the game plan and it's and it's a tough game plan I mean there's there's a reason for that if the Packers are primarily going to be dinking and dunking and running the ball as I've said about every opponent that the Packers have faced the problem is it's hard to do that many plays successfully Rather than converting four first downs and then punching it in, you got to convert seven or eight first downs because we're not getting the 25-yard pass. We're getting, you know, four yards, four yards, first down, four yards, four yards, first down. It takes a long time to get down there, and if you have one bad run, now you got to get six yards. If you have one incomplete pass and a bad run, now you have one chance to get 12 yards, right? I mean, it just eventually that's going to happen, especially with really good defenses. They're going to get you to throw an incompletion. They're going to get a, a, a short yardage run. You're not going to be able to do that all the way down the field. So it just it becomes difficult. But that's where really doing a good job of executing is going to be so critical. Because if this is a game where there's a lot of mistakes, there's no way we get down the field. You can't have drops. You can't have bad throws. You can't be running the wrong route. Everybody has to be on their best game. Because I, as much as I expect the defense to do a great job against the Rams offense, at some point the dam is going to break and they're going to start scoring some points. And that kind of leads me to another interesting stat that I found. Um, I was listening, I think, to Lefko's podcast. I don't even know who Lefko is, but he's got a podcast, and I was listening to it. But he had mentioned, I want to say they said the Rams are 38-0, but I, I did my own homework, and it says 37-0. When the Rams lead at halftime, Sean McVay is undefeated. He's never lost when he's led at halftime, ever. Regular season, postseason, nothing. 37-0. and Now, obviously, my brain said, well, I know that they're not an undefeated team, so that must skew pretty heavily in the loss column. When they're not leading at halftime, his record when they are losing, it's not 0 or less, it's minus 1 or more, or, or less, I guess, 2-11. and 11. So whether or not they're leading at halftime pretty much dictates everything. The Packers, kind of similar, Matt LaFleur is 21-1 when the Packers are leading at halftime, 5-5 five and five when they're not leading at halftime. So they're not as bad as, at comebacks as the Rams are, which they basically can't do it. But both teams, man, if they're winning at halftime, it's basically locked up. That's when uh, Matthew jumped in and he said, well, here comes a tie just for suspense. So I thought, that's a pretty good point. I should have looked at that. And so I looked at, in the event of a tie at halftime, the Rams are 3-6, and six, the Packers are 1-1. One and one. So again, the Rams really need a lead. If they don't have a lead, they're just not very good in the second half. And that's kind of what it comes down to. And that's why I looked at it a little bit further and broke it down based on per quarter. And this also works to our advantage. Again, if the goal is lead at halftime, on the season, the Packers have scored 80 points in the first uh, in the first quarter of this season. The Rams have allowed 66 points. So the Packers do decent. The Rams don't allow a ton. The second quarter, however, the Packers are number one in NFL history in the second quarter. I'm sure you've heard that sad. If you haven't, there you go. Nobody in NFL history has scored more points in the second quarter in a season than the Packers. The Rams are actually pretty bad in the second quarter. They've allowed 123 points in the second quarter. That is the money quarter right there. As silly as it sounds, that's when the Packers are at their best, the Rams are at their worst, and it's also our best chance to take a lead going into the half, which is massive. As silly as it sounds, leading at half unless there is a massive divergence from historical data, meaning a, 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 something will happen for almost the first time in history. The person who is lead, the team that is leading at halftime is going to win the game. If the Rams are winning at halftime and the Packers win the game, it will be the first time in NFL history. Again, not saying it's impossible, but when you get that many times in a row, it's not a fluke. It's just it's not a fluke. The Rams are something in their DNA, something in the way that they're built and having a dominant defense doesn't hurt says that they're not going to lose a lead so you know that that is the one sort of contradiction everything kind of falls into place everything kind of makes sense you're going to slow roll this you're going to do a... but at the same time if you really want to jump out and get a lead you know do you really just want to plod along or, or should we really start, start taking swings at this because if we're if we're going to eat up an entire quarter to get down the field and score a touchdown we're not going to jump out to too much of a lead. So that's the only thing in my mind that would make me think, you know, they maybe want to be a little bit more aggressive and maybe in the second quarter start to open things up a bit. But again, very interesting. Then when you look at the second half, uh, the Packers' offense is better than the first quarter. They're, they're quite bad in the first quarter. So I'll just read the, the Packers' offense uh, first quarter through fourth quarter. 80-219, 103-107. So third and fourth quarter are right around 100 for the season. So almost about a touchdown per quarter is what they're, they're averaging. But the Rams, 66 in the first, 123 in the second, and then 47 in the third, 60 in the fourth. So their two best quarters are in the second half. Kind of goes to show why they don't generally lose when they hold a lead. I mean, it, it, it makes perfect sense when you have a great defense and a terrible offense. If you're losing, your offense has no ability to come back and win. If you're winning, your defense is not going to allow some team to come back and win the game. Now, I don't know how that explains older history when that wasn't the case, but it is what it is. It's fully explainable at this point in time. Their defense is rock solid in the second half. Now, one way to kind of change that is to be, you know, control the clock and be extremely physical in the first half. I know they're a great second half team, but they're human beings and and they have physical human bodies that uh, have physiological things that happen to them. And when we're talking freezing cold temperatures, which just kind of tires you out to begin with, you know, your body has to shiver and all those kinds of things. It expends a lot of energy trying to stay warm. And if you eat up a lot of clock and you're running the ball a lot, they're going to be tired, man. They're just going to be really, really tired. And that's going to open up a lot of opportunities in the second half and really just kind of break with tradition, you know, to to, to break the will of a team when a team has an identity and you take it from them it means a lot it's extremely demoralizing when you know that you are dominant coming out of that that tunnel when you know the third quarter nobody's doing anything when we come out at halftime we are rock solid and we come out with a 40 yard bomb that's going to take their soul and so again it's 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 kind of tough right on one hand there is a safe strategy that says we play to their we play against their weaknesses and we just kind of you know attack the midsection we we Work the belly a little bit. On the other hand, if you're able to throw the ball, you can crush them in the first quarter. You crush their morale. If you run and throw at will, it's over. Because their, their entire identity is, we're not going to let you do that to us. If they march down the field and score a touchdown, it's demoralizing. I understand you can you can make adjustments. You do this, that, or the other, and you know they're they're a good defense. They're professionals. I'm sure they'll bounce back to some degree. But man, you fly all the way out there. You've got Super Bowl aspirations. You've been hyping yourself up. We got, we're gonna kill them. We're gonna. And they just cut through you like a hot knife through butter. It does something to you, right? And especially when you get off the plane and it's freezing cold, and you're you're from Los Angeles, and it's just bitter cold, and you don't want to be there. And then that offense does that to you, it's like, man, I hate this. I hate everything about today. I want today to be over. There's certain parts of our brain we can't control, right? There's entire parts of college departments that are dedicated to that. You know, salesmen try to manipulate those parts of your brain that you don't even know are activated back there. The way they say things, you know, making eye contact, saying your name, all these weird little things just to get you to to feel a certain way and do a certain thing. You can be as pumped up, and you can tell yourself all the things you want to tell you, but there are, again, physiological things that happen. When you get off the plane, it's freezing cold. A.J. Dillon smacks into you, and it hurts real bad. And on that first drive, they go right down the field and score a touchdown like your defense doesn't exist. And you got 10,000 fans cheering, and you realize this is what a number one offense feels like. This is what 25 degrees feels like. This is what crushing defeat and failure feels like, and I don't like it. I want to go home. And you can sit on the sideline and pull up an iPad and watch some self-help videos all you want. You're going to be crushed on the inside. You can go over there and listen to Tony Robbins. (laughs) You know, trying to, come on, Tony. Probably got his phone number. Tony, it's cold. Alan Lazard hit me and said, I suck. What do I do, Tony? So I I, I don't know. I I guess I'm conflicted on that. I don't know. It's going to be up to Matt LaFleur. They do whatever they want. And I, and I think, you know, game flow might dictate some of that, you know? You know what, what it is you should be able to do. We should be able to, to throw the quick stuff and run the ball and all that kind of, you know, we, we need to be able to execute that. But if, but if you're seeing some things and you think, you know, I think we can throw. I think we can attack this. I think we can manipulate that guy. We can put this guy on that guy and we can beat him. I mean, this might be a big day for Tunyon. Who know? We haven't seen him in a while. When was the last time he had a big breakout game? Maybe it's time. Who's to say that isn't the big mismatch that the, the Rams don't have an answer for? or again, Lazard, running backs in the receiving I feel like lately we've kind of gotten into a rhythm where we kind of do the same thing, right? It's Rodgers to Devontae, Rodgers to Devontae. Earlier on in the season, remember the first several weeks, there was a different guy every week that dominated. I think like week one was Devontae, week two was Aaron Jones, week three was Lazard. There was just a different player that took over. Still the same team with that same ability, right? I guess the Titans, it was A.J. Dillon. Never even seen the guy, and he just took over that whole game. We've seen MVS. We've seen Jamal. Heck, we even got a couple flashes from Dominique Daphne. So I don't know. It'll, I, I guess it'll be interesting. I, I can't sit here and say I know what's going to happen. I know the, the intellectual thing is to say, well, we're going to get the ball out of our hand quickly. We're going to run the ball well. But I know there's a part of Matt LaFleur that's like, nah, I'm going to go right for the throat. If if I have the opportunity to go at Jalen Ramsey, I'm going to do it. I'm not saying we're going to game plan for that. I'm just saying if it's, you know, if it's there, let's just do it. It's like I said the other day, run at Aaron Donald. Maybe it's stupid, but if it works, what are you going to do now? There's kind of a benefit to that, to to start off by saying, I'm going to go right at your strength and just see how good it is. And if we can beat it, it's over. It's over. If you can't stop us with your best, it's over. Now they probably can, but I'm just saying, maybe maybe you just try it out, see what happens. Maybe those ribs really are a problem. I'm sure they're going to drug him up real good before the game, but you take a good blow, he's probably going to feel it a little bit. But it'll be inter- interesting, and, and we'll find out soon enough um what exactly they're thinking is this a play keep away game or is this a we ain't scared of nothing we're coming straight at you kind of game don't know but um i could definitely understand either of those things i think one final thing that i want to mention um matt on twitter 24mj15 if you're curious reached out and said no one has mentioned the third wheel of this matchup yet i mentioned there's four phases well obviously there's more than that because there's special teams he goes on to say, special teams for Green Bay is 25th, the Rams are 27th. He said, I think it's going to be one of those uh, keys of the game to watch special teams and really who avoids making mistake. He goes on to say, I think it's Aaron Jones' day on Saturday. I, I, again, I could see that. If, if they have success running the ball, it's, it's one of those things where we can just put a stamp on it early. If, if we can hit these keys, we're going to win. So let's try it and see what happens. And then if we can't do it, we move on to, to plan B. And if we can't do that, then we really got to dig deep and try to figure out the mismatches and the bunches and the free releases and da-da-da-da-da-da. But if we can just line up, run, and, and Aaron Jones r- rips off 10, okay, and then this is a good thing. So um, I'll, I'll go on to say that I, I don't know where he got that stat from. It is not PFF. Uh, maybe it's DVOA. Let me check. It is. He got that from DVOA, which is great because PFF does not agree. They say that the Packers have uh, the, the second-worst special teams unit, and the Rams are the basically dead average. Good thing about DVOA here, uh, we can kind of see what it is. Kind of They kind of show their work a little bit. I guess they don't show their work, but they explain what f- facet is the worst. Um, kickoff return, they have the Packers as the fifth-worst. L.A. is, I don't know, like 10th-ish. They don't actually rank it, so I'm just kind of making that up, but it looks about right. They have the Packers as the fourth-worst punting unit, and the Rams as the seventh worst punting unit. That would encompass the uh, punter, obviously, as well as their ability to cover the punt. And then they have the Rams as the third worst punt return unit, and Packers are like, I don't know, eighth-ish. So across the board, they're like bottom 10 in every facet of uh, special teams, with the exception maybe of, of uh, field goals. They have the Packers as the fifth best. The Rams are, I don't know, somewhere in the middle, somewhere. It doesn't matter. No, actually, that's not true. They're uh, the sixth worst. So there you go. So yes, I, I just bad. Just very bad. Uh, bad at punting, bad at kicking, bad at uh, returning punts, bad at returning kicks. Neither team can do it very well at all. And, um, you know, especially in, in when you factor in this game, a big aspect of it is which offense is going to be able to overcome the other defense. And a, and a big difference is how far do I have to travel? Well, that's we're talking about starting field position there. Well, something's got to give because, well, the, the Rams are terrible at punt returns. Okay, but the Packers are terrible at punt coverage. Same with kickoff and kick return. So something's got to give a little bit, and uh, whether or not they have good field position, which, you know, again, is probably going to be a big aspect of this game. You know, again, it's it, I mentioned how that Colts game was basically a loss because of field position. The Colts started on, like, their 40 on average every single time. It's hard for a defense to defend that. So that's going to be a pretty big uh, emphasis, I think, for both teams, whatever emphasis is worth. I'm sure they've tried to emphasize it all year, and it's not doing anything. But another key to the game, if you will. Anyways, I got to get going. You folks have yourselves a fantastic uh, Tuesday-ish, somewhere in that range. Why is it only Tuesday? Please donate on Patreon. I'm so tired of this. <laughs> I t- oh, Tuesday, just the worst. it going to be a long week, man going to be a long week. Why isn't it Thursday? It feels like Thursday. It should be Thursday. Can we just call it Thursday? I'll go to work today, and tomorrow I'm taking the rest of the week off. (laughs) Anyways, have a great Tuesday. Talk to you tomorrow.